Hello, we're back. I'm Void. And I'm Dave. And we're here for another episode of Off Grid, where at last count, it was 92% not about crosswords. But we have solved a cryptic crossword, and we're going to tell you our favourite three clues from it and how they worked. But for the rest of the time, we're going to be talking about other stuff suggested by words in the crosswords. Now, there's no need for you to have done or even seen the puzzle, but if that is the sort of thing that floats your boat, then this episode we have solved Gaff's puzzle from the Financial Times on Tuesday, March the 15th, 2022, which was number 17043. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes so that you can pause this and go do that if you so desire. And towards the end of the pod, we will also have a little general knowledge quiz. Again, inspired by some words in the puzzle and set by, of course, naturally, general knowledge. General, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's always good to have you here. So we'll give you those clues now. Don't worry if you're not into solving, if you don't know what they're on about, or you can have to think about them. And we'll come back to them and explain them later. So, General, what was your favourite clue in the puzzle, please? My favourite clue was six down, which is mishap involving new leader in the West. Eight letters. And Dave? And I selected 25 across, which said, after start of game, ref had to change sponsor. Nine letters. And what about you? I went for 28 across. Jokes about electric ships, 3 hyphen 6. We'll come back to them in a bit. But first of all, General, which topic did you fish out of the puzzle to tell us about? Well, as you uh, allude to, it was something that was, in a sense, fished out. Uh, and yeah, I thought uh, the answer Loch Ness was something that would be fun to, to look into because I've long been fascinated by phenomena such as the Loch Ness Monster, which seems to defy rational thought, the idea that people mm. believe that this that this creature might actually exist, mm. that there, there, there might actually be this huge serpent living in this loch alongside humans. I'm, I'm quite interested in, in anything which seems to defy rationality. So if, if I'm talking to somebody and they, they use the phrase touch wood, and then find some words within the vicinity and touch it. I always find that a very bizarre thing for, for, for somebody to do. But I'm also they, very... they usually touch their own head, don't they? They touch their head, which uh, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what they're doing. I think maybe they're being self-deprecating by suggesting yeah. that they have a head made of wood. Um, but it all just doesn't make sense to me, so I'm just a bit confused for, for, for a while whilst it's taking place. I was just going to say on the, on the touching wood thing, I don't do that. But I, if I see a single magpie, I will salute it, and that's not oh, because right. I believe that the, the the lone magpie will bring me bad luck. I just like the knowledge of the folklore that's been around for so long, and this little story that I'm just giving a nod to when I do the salute. Yeah, I must admit, with magpies, even me, when I see just one magpie. There's a period of a few seconds where I I panic a little bit and worry <laughs> that it's a it's a it's a it's an omen for something terrible. Look around for another. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, we have a pair that nest in a tree behind our back garden, so I usually see two. But yeah, I'd, I've lived in Scotland for the last 20 years of my life, and in Edinburgh there is the Loch Ness Monster experience on the Royal Nile. <laughs> what does that entail? It was a it was a place where people could go and find out about the Loch Ness Monster and buy cuddly toys of the Loch Ness Monster. It was basically <laughs> tourists that would go that would be in Scotland and they would come to Edinburgh, and uh, somebody obviously realised that it, they could make a lot of money from these uh, tourists by getting them to come into this place. But I just found the whole thing really bizarre that people were become spending their time looking into this thing. Although I, I suppose that's what I've been doing in prep, in preparation for this. But yeah, I I thought I'd I'd spend a bit of time just looking into the the phenomena similar to the Loch Ness monster. And I've one of the things that I found out is that there's a there's a word for this field of pseudo academia which is called cryptozoology which is the study or the, the, the pursuit of creatures which may or may not exist. Yeah, so this is yetis and Sasquatch and all those kind of things, as well as Nessie. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah the, the Yeti and the Sasquatch and the Yowie and, and Loch Ness Monster would be the most famous examples, but there are, there's a whole cryptid wiki site that, which you can go onto and find out about hundreds of these creatures that have been sighted all around the world. Um, and I would recommend going there mainly for the pictures of these, uh, the kind of artistic impressions of these bizarre <laughs> animals. I'd, I'd recommend it. I, I do know that whenever I go on Twitter and I try to do a hashtag of cryptic, ready to do a hashtag of crossword afterwards, it, it's auto suggest is telling me all about cryptids before I get anywhere near cryptics. <laughs> For a little while, a long time ago, I used to subscribe to the magazine Fortean Times, and they have a, oh yes, like, they have the regular stories on cryptids. I don't know if that still exists. I haven't read it for a long time. I've made some notes about three of my favourite cryptids. Right. And I wondered if I, if I could tell you about three of my favourite ones that I found out about. Definitely. I think across the three of them, they're good, a good range of the kind of animals people are looking for around the world. Okay. So the first one is an animal which has been sighted often in Japan and discussed on online forums in recent years. Uh, and it's called, well, it's spelt N-I-N-G-E-N. So I'm, I'm assuming it's pronounced Ningen or Ningen. And it's described as a whale-like creature. It's a Japanese word, it would be pronounced nin- Ningen. Ningen, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a whale-like creature that has anatomical similarities to humans. So it has a face an extremely large lens and it's about 20 to 30 meters long and it's pale white with a large slit-like mouth and either small or large gaping eyes small or large gaping eyes (laughs) (laughs) the second uh, animal which this is perhaps similar to what we're used to which is things like the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeti which have kind of got a history of hundreds of years and kind of almost have become like local mythologies but the one that i quite liked was this is in germany and i think it's the elvedrich 
which is a fictional creature that inhabits the Palatinate of Germany in the southwest of that country. It's described as being a, a chicken-like creature with antlers. It has scales instead of feathers. It's said their wings are of little use, and that's why they mainly live in the underbrush. And they're depicted with the antlers of a stag, and their beaks often appear to be very long. And in the second half of the 20th century, artists increasingly portrayed them as female by adding breasts. And they supposedly originate from crossbreeding chickens, ducks and geese with mythical wood creatures such as goblins and elves. That's a, that's a really bizarre sounding one. Because with things like yetis or the Loch Ness Monster or the Ningen, you could imagine that someone caught sight of a some sort of real animal and mistook it for a mythical beast just by poor eyesight or weather phenomenon or something but that one you just described that's just that sounds like a fairy story or something doesn't it yeah yeah of course your description of that ningen made me think about how people think that the stories of mermaids might be related to manatees and things like that so like you were saying see a real creature and kind of develop it in your imagination let's say exaggerate yeah because i think there's a theory that 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 might be the source of the unicorn that people coming back from africa with sightings of rhinoceros yes yeah um but the last i've got one more if that's okay which is this is um an example of what is probably the most common type of cryptid which have been sighted in North America by teenagers. But this was my favourite <laughs> one. So in Ohio folklore, it's the Loveland Frog, also oh. known as the Loveland Frogman or the Loveland Lizard. And it's a legendary humanoid frog standing roughly four feet tall and spotted in the vicinity of a town called Loveland in Ohio. So in 1972, the Loveland frog legend gained renewed attention when a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with descriptions of the frogman. But after a purported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same creature some weeks after the 1972 incident and had identified it as a large iguana that was missing its tail. And then um, my favourite part of this is the fact that in in May 2014, the Loveland Frog legend was made into a musical, and it was called Hot Diggity Dog, It's the Loveland Frog. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. I don't think I'll be rushing out to see that one, but good to know it's out there. The description of being sighted by local teenagers, is there an implication that they possibly were stoners? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, some of the more recent ones, I think they are just teenagers that have been out on nights out and think they've seen something and they come back. And rather than just, whereas in years gone by, it would have just been forgotten. Now they can go online and kind of report it to to the world on some website. Amplify and spread, yeah. Yeah. The internet is great for many things. <laughs> Do we know the Latin binomial taxonomic name given to the Loch Ness Monster? Oh, I don't. And why? <laughs> Nessius <laughs> Pliosaurus or something like that. No? It's Nessiteras rhombopteryx. 
which roughly translates as Ness Monster with Diamond-Shaped Fins, right? Uh, which was a name given to it by the naturalist Sir Peter Scott, son of Robert Falcon Scott, Scott of the Antarctic. Yeah. I think there was some law that said species could only get sort of legal protection if they had got a proper taxonomic name. And Scott kind of said, well... If this thing turns out to exist, we don't know whether it does or not, but if it does turn out to exist, it's probably a good idea for it to have a name already rather than somebody to go out hunting it straight away, you know. Right, yeah. So that it can be immediately legally protected. I think there was a period around about the middle of the 20th century when it was actually had quite a lot of respect as a, as a discipline. I think there were there'd been some... I think there was talk about the, the I think the elephant bird of from um I think Mauritius. There was talk about that and the fact that there there did exist fossils of uh, these great apes which were similar to things like the yeti but albeit from hundreds of thousands of years ago. So there was a period of time around about the the middle of the 20th century when when it was regarded with some seriousness as a, as a discipline. But I think since then it's been seized upon by um, religious people in America as, as kind of proof that, that dinosaurs have existed within the historical period suggested by the Bible. Like the world is only so many years old, so if there are still dinosaurs now, then that explains why we're finding these uh, fossils. And, and finding these fossils doesn't suggest that the world is, is older than is suggested in the Bible. So I think it's been drained of all its... <laughs> respect over the last 50 years yeah there's a point where inquisitiveness tips over into credulity i think uh, (laughs) a a lot of these have tipped yeah i think there's a phrase it's important to keep an open mind but not so open that your brain falls out yeah (laughs) so talking of brains should we go on to some thinking and uh, get a clue explained yeah we can uh, revisit the first of mine i suppose which was 25 across, if you remember, it said, after start of game, ref had to change sponsor. Nine letters. Now, I think even the most beginnerish of solvers will probably have suspected that start of game means the letter G, and the rest of the wordplay comes after it. So in this case, ref had to change means making an anagram of ref had to, and therefore that's going to all add up together to meet make something that means sponsor and it gives you the answer godfather anyway void tell us about that word in the grid that inspired you yeah i picked the word miles so let's start with what is a mile or rather what was a mile originally do you guys know that is it how far a soldier can tramp in a certain... No, it, it, it's, a, it's a thousand paces, isn't it? It's melee. It's a thousand paces. Is that right? Yeah, that's spot on. If we uh, compare it with the French word mule for a thousand, then, yeah, the mile was originally defined as a thousand paces of a Roman soldier. So that would give us a distance of about 5,000 feet. So, given that we were talking and bear with me now, about lines in various forms of poetry in the last episode. This is true. I want to ask you, how many lines in a mile? I'm getting a response of blank faces, which I 
kind of expected. So to, just for and now, not poetic lines, a different kind of line. Just pick a number, and we'll go from there. Even though we don't know what sort of lines you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. One. <laughs> okay, we have one and. Uh, five hundred. One and five hundred. Okay, so I'll now try and uh, narrow it down for you a bit. Maybe it'll help if I tell you that a line is an old unit of measurement, which is the equivalent by one measure of one poppy seed. Oh, so oh, how many dear. poppy seeds oh. in a mile? Do you fancy uh, revising oh, your answers, maybe? I'm going to try and do a little bit of mathematics in my head. To I'm trying to think how many poppy seeds there would be in an inch. Okay. Well, there'd be a lot. But I'll just I'll go for five hundred thousand. That's weird because okay. that's that's the number I had rattling around in my head. Uh, because okay. yeah, you were talking about however many paces, so then you can multiply your inches up into how how many inches you're in a pace. Uh, let's let's double it and say a million. Okay, so we have half a million and a million. How about if I tell you that a poppy seed is a quarter of a barley corn? Does that help? <laughs> no. <laughs> No? Okay. A barley corn is a third of an inch. Yeah. So now we're in familiar territories. So it's one mile multiplied by how many yards? Can't remember how many yards there are in miles. General? I'm thinking I I base this kind of thing on when I used to watch like the the World Athletics Championships uh, when I was growing up. Right. And I remember a a mile is about sixteen hundred meters and a yard is a little bit is more than that so is it around about a thousand yards a mile it's a bit more it's 1760 oh so i've got one times 1760 times three feet times 12 inches times three barley corns (laughs) times four poppy seeds or lines and we get 760,320 lines in a mile. So, between the two of you, yeah, actually spot on. Yeah, yeah. well, how about that? So, again, almost exactly between 500,000 and a million. Yeah, yeah. And so, throwing back to our poetry last episode, we can now work out that a limerick, which is has five lines, five lines, is one 152,064th of a mile long. Well, very useful. It is, it is. If you want to subdivide a mile otherly, you can strip it into eight furlongs, Yes. which are made up of ten chains each. And a chain, uh, you might be familiar with a chain from a more sort of sporting reference. No? It's the length of a cricket pitch. Oh. So it's 22 yards. And a chain is the equivalent of four rods or 100 links, each link being 95 poppy seeds long. Or a chain is also 11 fathoms. But clearly that would be silly because a fathom is a measure of depth. So that's just ridiculous. I, I yes. think it's all perfectly clear, and I just don't know why people think the imperial system is really complicated. It's, it seems perfectly fine to me. <laughs> is that the next stage for breakfast? Sorry, for, for Brexit, to bring back the barley corn? <laughs> Break, uh, Brexit no. means breakfast, yes, quite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did look up some famous Mileses. I'll just do a couple from fiction. 
Do you know who Miles Morales is? Spider-Man. Yeah, he replaced Peter Parker. Peter Parker. Yeah. After he oh. died, I think, as Spider-Man. Spoilers. Because obviously you can't can't have a superhero alter ego without alliteration in the name. No, absolutely not. And the other one I have, another alliterant name, Miles Messervy. Have you heard of Miles Messervy? I can't say I have. I haven't, I'm afraid. How about if I give him his full title of Vice Admiral Sir Miles Messervy KCMG? He's perhaps best known as the boss of a more famous character. Nope. And uh, this Popeye. famous character is a commander. Oh no, not Popeye. Oh, is it? Is it from um, the book? Technically, a sailor. Hornblower. Oh, oh hang on a minute. A commander. Yeah, not Hornblower. Say. I did so, say a commander. We're not given all those M's, and you were talking about alliteration. Are we talking about Commander Bond here? Is this, is this M's name? It is. Ah. Yes, he's M in the James Bond novels. Wow, how about that? Uh, he's thought to have been inspired by in various measures people called John Godfrey, Claude Dancy and Mansfield Smith Cumming who were all British intelligence officers of Ian Fleming's acquaintance Mm -hmm. I think I may have travelled too many miles let's move on to a clue General, do you want to explain how your favourite clue works to us please? So my clue was six down and the clue was mishap involving new leader in the West. And the wordplay comes at the start, mishap involving new leader. So another word for mishap is an accident. And if that is involving a new leader, then you give the word accident a new first letter and it becomes occident, which means in the West. And what I liked about this was the wordplay was fairly straightforward but it created a nice surface and it's unfortunately all too familiar the idea of a western leader being involved in a in a mishap yeah we've had a few of those (laughs) yeah so i thought it was an evocative surface which i appreciated yeah yeah nice so dave let's go to your turn as it were where are you taking us? Uh, oh, you're rotating in the sense of my turn, because the word that I picked was 20 across, which was rota. Now, I've got a couple of different directions to go with this. Um, first, Gaff defined it in his clue as schedule. I think I read somewhere that this sense of a rotating duty list is a very British usage, and the Americans tend not to be familiar with it. They would use roster uh-huh. in the same uh, same circumstances, apparently. Okay. I was looking it up. It originated as a very specific thing in the Catholic Church and then got extended to general usage. But uh, actually, where I really wanted to go with this was to talk about a chap called Giovanni Rota Rinaldi. Now, have you heard of him? He is not a footballer. <laughs> Giovanni Rota Rinaldi. It's not ringing any bells with me. Not for me. Okay, well, he was another one of these musical child prodigies. He was born in Milan in 1911. By the age of 11, he'd had his first oratorio performed in Milan and Paris. 
his first opera at 13, Il Principe Porcaro, The Swineherd Prince, and so on. <laughs> he went on to write 10 operas, five ballets, dozens of orchestral choral chamber works, and over 150 film scores. <laughs> yeah, you know me. I like to bring film music into the mix wherever I can. And maybe I've cheated a little bit because you might know him better. He usually went by the name of Nino Rota among those 150 film scores, most of which were in Italy for Italian directors like Fellini and Visconti and Zeffirelli. Okay. Perhaps the couple that are most familiar to the likes of us are... Firstly, his love theme from the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet, familiar to generations of British pop radio listeners as the background to Simon Bates' Our Tune segment. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. A beautiful piece. He's having horrible flashbacks. Horrible flashbacks. <laughs> or, or two themes, a main theme and a love theme for Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 film of... Aha. The Godfather, oh, yeah. as mentioned earlier. You did say, before we started recording, and you were saying you were picking your words, you did say, I'll pick the themed words. And I thought, well, Godfather, yes, that there's a Godfather theme in this puzzle, but what, what's Rota got to do with the Godfather? But there we go. It, the very Literally the theme words. The uh, He wrote the theme. Yeah, as we've not mentioned to the listeners, but... Uh, as well as the word Godfather itself, there was a phrase in another set of answers that linked to it, which was make him an offer he can't refuse. Um, a line famously delivered by Marlon Brando in the movie. So Gaff obviously had the film in mind while setting this puzzle. And I think it can't be a coincidence that Rodger's name is in the grid as well. So mm. while a lot of crosswords have a Nina in them, this one's got a Nino in it instead. <laughs> <laughs> For the benefit of non-crosswordy listeners, or those who may not know the origin of the term, Anina being a message to the solver hidden in the crossword grid by the setter using some of the answer words, typically end letters of words that stick out into the perimeter rows and columns so that you can read the message around the edge, but also sometimes across the rows in between words or down the diagonals or something like that. It gets its name from a habit of an American illustrator and caricaturist called Al Hirschfeld, 1903 to 2003, so pretty much the whole of the 20th, 20th century. He was known for very stylized black and white line drawings in like the New York Times and the Herald Tribune, uh, album covers, book jackets, that sort of thing. In 1945, he and his actress wife Dolly had a daughter, who they called Nina, and in the months after her birth... He decided as a little sort of family in joke to hide her name in the drawings that he was doing and publishing. Like elongated letters blended into a shirt cuff or swirly letters in the curls of a character's hair, that sort of thing. Um, but the public caught on to what he was doing and when he decided to stop... So stuff you wouldn't normally notice unless you were looking for them. Exactly. Yeah, hidden quite subtly. Uh, but the public did catch on to what he was doing and when he decided to stop because the gimmick had run its course uh, the publication suddenly received letters of complaint from readers who were enjoying looking for the Nina and wanting him to carry on doing it so he kind of made a rod for his own back there <laughs> the term then got taken up and, and transferred across by the crossword community 
I have looked around online to try and find out who brought the term across into our world and when, but I can't find anything definitive. Uh, there was a commenter on one blog who reckons it was the setter Kia, Roger Phillips, but they didn't cite any sources. So if we've got any listeners who can corroborate that or disprove it, I think we'd be interested. Hmm. Yeah. Void, <laughs> bring it all back round to the passing of your choice of clue. Yes, my clue was 28 across jokes about electric ships, three hyphen six. I like this clue because it's very short and you know exactly what the setter is seeming to be saying in the surface meaning. Uh, the definition was jokes about gave us on, so on the subject of about a subject. Electric is abbreviated to E, as in e-scooters or EVs, electric vehicles. And ships were a particular type of ships. They were liners. So on E-liners spells out one-liners. Jokes. Short and sweet. Very nice. Very nice. Quiz time. Oh, yeah. So I've got three questions. I, I hope this isn't too naughty, but the first question, there's three parts to it. Oh, fine. <laughs> so all of the questions are inspired by the theme of the puzzle. The theme was, as we've alluded to, Godfather and the Mafia generally. And I find some of the nicknames of famous mafiosi types can be quite funny. So for the first question, I'm, I'm going to give you three names. For each one, you need to say whether it's a genuine name of a gangster or if I've just made it up. Right, so. So the first one is Charles, the typewriter, Nicoletti. The typewriter. So we've got to figure out why would someone be called. I mean, if, the, he's, the if his name was Olivetti, then I could see why he would be called the typewriter. <laughs> now, was he. Did he go back and forth in some way, like the carriage of a typewriter? <laughs> Did he always sign his name when he was knocking off his victims? Or have you uh, made him up? Uh, I'm going to say it's real, but I don't know why. Yeah, you know what? I don't think you would make up the first one. So I I okay. think, yeah, it probably is a real one. <laughs> well, congratulations. You're correct. Charles, the typewriter, Nicoletti, was a real gangster. I think it might be that he once used a typewriter as a weapon <laughs> in a fit of rage. But whack somebody over the head with it. So yeah. it was quite heavy, the old old typewriters, weren't they? Of course. Okay, the second one is Ciro, the Artichoke King, Terra Nova. <laughs> the Artichoke King. That, that That's ringing vague bells in the back of my mind, but I can't... Is this... Am I thinking of a different type of vegetable king? <laughs> Did he have a business... No, actually, yes, I think this is real. I think he laundered his money through a business which uh, grew artichokes and sold them. And did he force local restaurants to buy his artichokes at inflated prices? Well done. I think all of that is correct from my from my uh, scant research. It's, it's about, wow. Yeah, I think apparently all of the artichokes in New York came from... Ciro the Artichoke King Terranova. There wasn't an <laughs> artichoke in New York that didn't come through his 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 hands. <laughs> so well done. I don't know where I heard that from, but must I must have read it somewhere or heard it somewhere. 
The last one is Angelo Quack Quack Ruggiero. I have no idea about Quack Quack Mafia guy. I don't know. I'll, I'll plump for a fake one this time. Well, it's another genuine gangster. They were all real gangsters. And I think Quack Quack was... I think he just used to like saying Quack Quack. <laughs> when you're uh, a gangster, nobody's going to tell you it's a stupid <laughs> thing to say, are they? Okay, so that was that was question one. So the Godfather featured in the puzzle... And I wondered, sometimes Godfather can be referred to as, as the greatest film ever made. So I did some research to find out whether it was indeed the greatest film ever made. <laughs> so what I did was I looked at Sight and Sound, which is a magazine of the British Film Institute. Yeah, They will be, later this year, they'll be carrying out their polls among critics and, and film directors. And I think certainly within, I would say, the English-speaking world, is probably the closest we've got to the definitive answer to the uh, greatest film ever made. And indeed, The Godfather does appear in the top 10 in the poll of directors from 2012. The Godfather was among those directors considered to be the seventh best film ever made. So, and this might be more up Dave Street than Void, I don't know, but... um, I wondered if you knew any of the other top 10 films ever made, according to the Sight and Sound Director's Poll from 2012. Well, well these I kind of listings usually have famously... Citizen Kane in them, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's famously voted at number one, isn't it? Most of the time. Yeah, so Citizen Kane is there. Citizen Kane was at number three. Three? I think I did read recently that it had been toppled from its lofty perch. Are these all English language films? Six of them are, are in English. Because I was thinking, you know, so maybe we might get some Kurosawa in there or something like that. Ran. Yeah, Ran is what I was wondering about. Ran, did you say? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. Or Seven Samurai. No. No. A- anything by Kurosawa? Uh, not actually, no. How about Jaws? It's a blockbuster, but it's a good film. Jaws isn't there. No, the the most recent film in the top ten is from nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine. Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Apocalypse Now is number six. Very good. Interesting that there's nothing modern that's made its way in. But we can have things like Chaplin, like City Lights, or something like that. No, there's no Chaplin. I think um, they. The I think they're all no. I that think would be kind of handy, wouldn't it? <laughs> And the earliest one in the top 10 is Citizen Kane from 1941. So it's 40s to 70s. Wow. Casablanca. Nope. Ben-Hur. No, it's not very good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Butch Cassidy and Sundanski. Nope. No. So the, the, the non-English language for French? Two Italian films, a Russian film and a Japanese film. How about La Dolce Vita? No. Eight and a half. Eight and a half, yeah. That's, according to the poll, the fourth greatest film of all time. Oh, thank God I got one. <laughs> give, give us a genre. The second greatest film of all time, according to this film, is a science fiction film. Alien? No. Close Encounters? No. Day the Earth Does Steal? No. You're not going to put Star Wars in there, are you? Oh, no, no. Planet of the Apes, the original? 68, Planet of the Apes? No. The Thing? Metropolis. Too early. The Thing would be hot, good for on, a, on a poll of best special effects. 
I think you're going to have to put us out of our misery, General. So do I. Okay. In 10th place, there's the Bicycle Thieves. Okay. From 1948. Yeah. In 9th is Mirror, which I think is a Tarkovsky film. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I've got okay. a CD with some of the music from that on it. Yeah. In 8th is Vertigo, the Hitchcock film. Oh, we didn't name any Hitchcock. Shame on us. Yeah, absolutely. Seventh is A Godfather, and sixth is Apocalypse Now, which you got. Yeah. Fifth is Taxi Driver. Oh. Fourth is Eight and a Half. Third is Citizen Kane. You got both of those. Second is a science fiction film, and it's 2001, oh. Space Odyssey. I was, you, oh. I was just on the verge. <laughs> and then the greatest film of all time, according to the Sight and Sound Director's Poll from 2012 is Tokyo Story, which is a Japanese film from 1953. Well, we'll have to go away and seek that out. I'm really surprised it wasn't Spice World. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, we got one each, Dave, so I think we'll have to settle for that. Mm. Cool. All righty, that's about it for this episode. Here comes the bit where we exhort you to do whichever positive things your choice of podcaster allows subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that malarkey. It really does help. Show notes with links to relevant stuffs are at offgrid.tlmb.net. It will also have links through to our Twitter profiles where I'm at Skirwingle. And I'm at the void TLMB. And you can check out my blog, tlmb.net slash blog for some crossword puzzles if you like that sort of thing. General, do you have any recommendations for our listeners this time around? I would recommend they check out the Twitter account at Conto Crosswords. Marvellous, yes. Excellent. It comes thoroughly recommended. <laughs> I believe that's a crossword setter. I think I've done done some of those puzzles. Cool. See you next time, folks. Goodbye. Right. Thank you. That was off grid. Interesting podcast, they said. How did I not know this existed? They said, yes, it's incredible, isn't it? But now that you do, please do as Dave said. Leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or somewhere. It'd be lovely. And hello to our new listeners in the Isle of Man and Brazil. We've made it to South America. Hooray! Just Antarctica to go. Thanks to Gaff for our puzzle. Thank you to Trudy for our theme tune. Thank you for listening. I don't know why I wave. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs)